There is a video that is right now going kind of viral on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen this particular one. I, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure, have seen it. <laughs> it is a video of a woman who is talking to a man, and they are near the front registers of Walmart. And you can't see the man in the video because I believe that he's, he's got to be the one that's filming this particular video. And the woman is really not talking to the man. She is cussing him out. And when I say cussing him out, I mean she is letting the absolute granddaddy of them all, she's letting it fly. You know which one I'm talking about? Do we need, you know the letters? There's two. Not just one, it was both. It was, I mean, it was unbelievable. And she's calling him this name repeatedly. And a Walmart worker comes up to find out what the commotion is going on in the front of Walmart. I believe it had to have been the manager of Walmart. She comes up to the woman and she says, why are you yelling? Why are you screaming at this man? And she calmly says, she, she goes from yelling and screaming to like suddenly like almost it's like two different people. And now she's calmly saying, well, I am doing this because he needs to accept Jesus in his heart and he is not repenting. And it's crazy. Now, don't go out there on Facebook looking for it or whatever. I don't know how you would find it. Walmart lady or Walmart cussing evangelism. I don't know what the key words would be to try to find this particular video, but it like it's, it's a popular video right now. It's, it's going viral. Let me submit to you tonight that this is not the way to go when you want to do evangelism. Amen? <laughs> but there is a way to do it. There is actually a way to do evangelism. There's a way to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to those around us. One of the places in Scripture that we see a good look at Jesus' strategy of evangelism is in the Gospel of John chapter four. You, you're probably familiar with the context. It is the passage where Jesus goes through Samaria and he goes to the well at Sychar and he meets a woman there. There's a woman that's drawing water and she's there and they have this conversation. It is this passage, we know it as the the, you know, the passage of the woman at the well, right? And so they have this conversation and, um, and, and what you see here is a couple of things. Early in the passage, it tells us that Jesus needed to go through Samaria, right? He needed to go through Samaria. And I believe that it's because this conversation, this meeting with this woman at the well is a divine appointment. Amen. It's a divine appointment. He says, I need to go through Samaria. And then later in the chapter, we read how the woman 
after she has this unbelievable conversation with Jesus, she is now leaving the well, leaving her pail, her pot, as it were, at the well, and she's going back into the town to find the people of the city to tell them about Jesus and to tell them, you've got to come and see this guy. You've got to come and see this man. And so this is kind of the kind of the bookends of the story. And it, it, it kind of shows us a couple of things about evangelism. One of the things about evangelism, one kind of thought is that you've got to go and tell. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So there's this idea of going and telling. Amen. Jesus gave the the, the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, right? And, and, and then he said, it, that's the Mark version and the Matthew version, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So there's this idea of going. There's this idea of going. But then there's this idea too present in this chapter of bringing, bringing people to Jesus, going and inviting, hey, why don't you come and check out Jesus, amen? And so tonight we're gonna take a look at really this last section of the, of the passage. We're gonna look at the end of the story and I wanna talk to you tonight with this proposition in mind. Here's the proposition tonight. We need to bring G people to Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus, amen? Now, I wanna take the proposition and I wanna ask a question of it. Here's the question, and you'll see it on the screen behind me. Why do we need to bring people to Jesus? right? It's great to just say, hey, here's a proposition. We need to bring people to Jesus. Well, if you're anything like me, the first thing you say is, well, why? Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to bring people to Jesus? Well, hopefully we're going to answer that question in the text tonight. The first point, if you're taking notes tonight, is this. This is an answer to the question. He knows everything about them, and everything they need. He knows everything about them and everything they need. So let's go to John 4, pick it up at verse 27. It says this. Now hopefully I can read this tonight because I'm on an old pair of glasses. I don't know if anybody noticed, but I'm on an old pair of glasses because my other pair broke and Mary Jo glued them back together because she famously glues stuff back together, like all over the house. And then it only lasted a couple days. So I had to break out the old ones, and so hopefully I can read tonight from this distance. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, this is what the text says. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? 
Then they went out of the city and came to him. We need to bring people to Jesus because he knows everything about them and everything that they need. Earlier in this chapter, if you read the entire chapter, in the conversation that this woman has with Jesus, he says to her, he says to the woman, um, if uh, the woman asked Jesus for the living water, and so Jesus says to, says to the woman, she says, go call your husband. Go ahead, go call your husband. And she says, well, I've had five husbands. And, and, and G, well, Jesus actually says to her, you've, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. So actually, I, I, I bungled that right there. She didn't say that. She didn't give that information. He basically told her what her situation was. She didn't tell him. He says, you've had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. So at this point in the conversation, she's like, whoa, whoa, what is this? Who is this guy? So when we look at this point here in the chapter, skipping down to the place where we read, it talks about that she went away leaving her water pot uh, her, her pot at the, at the well, and she says to the people of the city, come and see a man who told me everything about my life. Come and you gotta, you, you, come on, just come now. You've gotta come now. You have gotta come and see this guy because he told me everything about my life, right? And what this tells me is that Jesus knows everything about you and he knows, and he, and he has everything that you need. Earlier in this chapter, in this book, the Gospel of John, right when Jesus is going out to, to begin his ministry, there's this verse of scripture where John says he, he knew what was in the heart of men. Remember that? It says where he knew what was in the heart of men. So John in this gospel has already broadcast this idea. He's already broadcast this idea that Jesus knows mankind. He knows the heart of man and he doesn't know just what's in man in general, but he knows specific details. He knows all the details of every single person. He knows the details of your life, amen? He knows the details of your life. He knows the details of my life. Oh my goodness, all of them. All the details, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, hopefully we didn't cuss anybody out at Walmart, amen? But if we did, he knows about it, amen? And he loves us, and he loves us, and he has everything that we need, amen? So this woman is just kind of in awe of just the knowledge of God, the, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Jesus. And at this point, the woman said to Jesus, I can see that you are a prophet, sir. I can see that you are a prophet. I mean, can you imagine meeting someone that just started, I mean, you know, they have these psychics, right? You know, they have, I don't know if you remember these guys and they'd have these shows and stuff and, and um, you know, they, they'd start going, I'm seeing like, I'm seeing like you, uh, you just got fired from your job. No, you just got hired to your job. No, you've been in your job for a long time. Yes, that's it. Yes. Oh, you're a psychic, sir. You're, you know, you can say, 
you know, no, 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 this, this wasn't that type of thing. God, Jesus knew the very specific details of this woman's life. And she says, I can see that you're a prophet. And the, 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 the truth of it is that Jesus knows everything about everyone. What happens when we share the gospel is that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Lord will speak through you to another person if you will simply tell them what every person needs, that they need Jesus, that they need forgiveness. You begin to talk about it. God gives you the word. God fills you. You're filled as his vessel with the Holy Spirit. And, and God told the disciples, Jesus told the disciples, when you stand before man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak through you. I'm gonna give you the words. Now there is kind of knowing a little bit about what you're doing, but there is also trusting in Jesus because God's going to speak to other people through you. And so we need to do that. And so Jesus is, is the one that, that people need to, to come and, and meet because he knows everything about them and he has everything that they need. Um, so there was this woman who was inviting uh, all of the town to come in and see Jesus, to come and see, check out this guy who told her uh, everything about her life. Now, this story, like, has probably been repeated. This little story I'm going to tell you has probably been repeated as many times as there have been pastors preaching the word of God from pulpits. Okay, so if you can think about how many pastors have stood behind a pulpit and preached his word, this story has probably been repeated that many times and I'm here to testify that it has happened in my ministry as well and probably more than I even know. But here's the story. There was a woman who was inviting someone to her church. She invited this particular person. She had been working on him for a while. She finally gets them to come to the church with her. And so, you know, the music starts and whatever and all this and everything, the worship. And then the pastor gets up to preach, right? The pastor begins to proclaim the word of God and he's preaching the text and he's proclaiming and he, he's just doing it, right? He's just, you know, doing a great bang up job. And then the, the, the guest of the woman turns to the woman and says, why did you tell the pastor everything about my situation? Right? And the woman's like, I didn't tell the pastor anything. Well, how did he know all this stuff? How did he know all this stuff about my situation? Because this woman was hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit through the teaching of the word and it was hitting her and directly applicable and directly speaking to her heart specifically. And so when I tell you we need to bring people to Jesus, it's because he knows everything about them and he's gonna speak to them and he's going to deliver a message to them of what they need, amen? And so we need to trust this process. We need to trust this particular process, um, God will begin to open up the hearts of people when we bring them to Jesus, amen? When we bring them to Jesus. Now, secondly, if you're taking notes tonight, he is the answer. Let's pick it up, verse 31, back in our text. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, 
I have found food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there is still four more months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields for they are already white to harvest. Let's stop right there. So why do we need to bring people to Jesus? Because he knows everything about them and he knows exactly what they need. Secondly, he's the answer for their life, amen? Now back in the, I believe it was the 70s, I think, there was um, a bumper sticker that kind of a lot of Christians got and it simply said, he's the answer, right? Or Jesus is the answer, right? Something along those lines. It's been a little while. Uh, you, know, you can look it up, Google it, 70s bumper sticker. Jesus is the answer. But anyways, whether there was a bumper sticker or not, he's the answer, amen? Jesus is the answer. Now, earlier in their conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well, she had mentioned at one point when they got to, 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 to in the middle of their talk, he, she mentioned the fact that, yeah, there's, there's a Messiah coming. And when he comes, man, he's going to straighten everybody out. He's going he's to straighten the Jews out because they're down there in Jerusalem worshiping on that mountain. And they don't know that they should be up here at Mount Gerizim worshiping and all this because you had this discrepancy between the Jews and the Samaritans, Right. And so there was this idea that was in her. She had this idea that there, there, was, there was somebody that was coming, that was the answer, right? And I believe that, that people deep down know that there is an answer. There, there, there is a truth. And, and uh, they reject it and they suppress it. In fact, uh, Paul says this in, in uh, Romans chapter one. People like to say, um, well, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in Jesus and that type of stuff. But he says, look, everybody can look out at the creation and know that there is a God because his glories and his power are clearly seen by what has been made. In other words, it's self-evident that there's a God. It's self-evident that there's a, there's, there's a creator. And if there's a creator, there's gotta be an answer, Right? And Paul goes on to say that they suppress this idea. They suppress this truth. Why? In unrighteousness. They suppress it because they want to continue in unrighteousness. And this is exactly right. Now, people are going to bristle and, oh, no, no, no. I just reject. I don't, I'm just an atheist. You know, I'm just an agnostic. I just don't know. Right? No, no, no. Deep down. I'm not talking about your blog. I'm not talking about your podcast. I'm not talking about your book on the New York Times bestseller list or whatever it is, Richard Dawkins and all the rest of them, Sam Harris, okay? What I'm talking about is deep down in the heart of every person. Deep down in the heart of every person. I believe that Pascal put it this way, there's a, there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person and everybody kind of knows that. And, uh, and people will suppress that in unrighteousness. So he's the answer and she kind of knew that there was, there was someone coming that was the answer. And what did Jesus tell her? He says, yeah, that guy, you're looking at him. <laughs> I am he, right? I am he. 
So he's the answer. And how is the, he the answer? He's the Messiah. And he has what will sustain them. He has what will sustain them. Why do we need to bring people to Jesus? Because he's the answer to their life and he has what will sustain them. Jesus, here in this part of the text, it says this, in the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat, but he said to them, I have a food of which you do not know. Remember, we didn't go through the whole passage, so I'm filling it in as we go here. But remember, he stopped through Samaria and stopped by the, the well at Sychar, and they went into the town to get lunch, right? So they're literally coming back to lunch, and they're coming back with like their, you know, they'd gone through the drive-through, you know? They had gone through, you know, falafel grill, in, in uh, you know, somewhere in town and, and they came back with their falafels and everything and, and, and they were excited. You know, Jesus, we got you the double falafel, you know? And they're really excited about this. And, um, and, and, and so he's like, here, Rabbi, eat. Rabbi, eat. He's like, no, I don't need it. I have a food that you don't know about. I have a food that you don't know about. And he goes on to talk about how that this sustenance is literally just in just doing the will of the Father and, and, and just walking in that will of the Father. And so when we need to bring people to Jesus because they need that in their life. I need that in my life. I need the sustenance that nothing in this physical world can bring me. Jesus will later tell in two chapters from this, in John chapter six, he will tell a crowd the day after that he feeds them, 20,000 people, he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. The next day they follow him across the lake and they're coming up to him and, and, and he knows, well, here they are. Because the text, if you read John six, it's one of the longer chapters in the gospel of John. At, when he fed, fed the 20,000, it's 5,000, but with women and children, scholars believe it's closer to 20,000. They literally wanted to make him king, right? They wanted to make him king, right? Why? Because, hey, this guy can make food out of thin air. Let's make this guy king. Let's just all get on just the, the freebie bandwagon, right? And Jesus said, no, no. So he goes the next day, they follow him. And he's, he knows, Jesus knows what's in the heart of men, right? Right? So here they come, and he says, I know why you're here. I know why you're here, but I want to tell you that you need to seek the, fo the food that is not for the physical, but for your spiritual need. You need, to f you need to seek that food. And see, Jesus has that food that they need. They need to partake from the, from the tree of life. This is what people are missing. They need to partake of Christ. And he, so he has a food that will sustain them. Amen? He has what will sustain them. Another reason he's the answer. We need to bring people to Jesus because he has healing in his hands and the power to forgive. Amen? I want to tell you about another passage in Luke chapter 5, another instance in the ministry of Christ. It's Jesus had begun his ministry and he, he began to heal people and he began to teach with powerful words and just boom, he was just a powerful ministry immediately. 
And in this particular place in Luke chapter five, Jesus is ministering in a house and there was a paralytic man, a paralyzed man, and he couldn't make it to Jesus. He couldn't get there to Jesus. And so I guess he had some really good friends. The text says these men picked him up and brought him to Jesus, amen? Why do we need to bring people to Jesus? Because Jesus has healing in his hands and he can forgive sins. So these guys pick up this paralyzed man, they bring him to Jesus, they get to the house where Jesus is ministering and the place is completely packed. It's so packed that no one could get in, you couldn't get in the door. It's like people were literally standing in the doorway. I mean, it was like a fire marshal situation that was not a good, you know, if they had fire, you know, the, the fire marshals back there were not, you know, wouldn't have, wouldn't have signed off on that. Amen. Okay. So they can't get this guy in to see Jesus. And so what do they do? They go up onto the roof. They begin to open up the roof, create a hole in the roof, and they put the guy down through the roof to see Jesus. Now, first of all, I want to give these guys some major props, amen. Not only did they carry him to see Jesus, but they put him through the roof. Wow. That's, an, that's some amazing friends. That's some, some, that's some, these guys were committed. If you want to take a snapshot of like the type of tenacity, the type of heart that I'm talking about tonight and bringing people to Jesus, these are the guys in Luke 5. The guys that bring the paralyzed guy all the way to Jesus, can't get him in. Well, let's take him up on the roof. We'll get a hole going here. We'll drop him right in. Well, not drop him. We'll lower him in. We'll lower him in. And they lower him in to see Jesus. And Jesus says to him, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now what I know about Jesus is, I think this is, this is what this speaks to me. It's like here Jesus is looking at a paralyzed man and, he's, and he knows, obviously, right? These guys have brought this guy because he's paralyzed and Jesus is healing people and if we can bring this guy to Jesus, he can heal him uh, from being paralyzed. But you see, Jesus knows the true need, the real need. We may have some grand physical need. We may have some concrete need that is just kind of blaring out there, you know? It may be some ridiculous financial need, you know? I mean, hopefully nobody here, but I mean, it may be a, like a case study, like on the Dave Ramsey show, you know? We got all this credit card debt. We got student loans. We got car payments. We got all kinds of stuff. No one wants to get on the snowball program. What do I do, Dave? And it, it may be some incredible need, but Jesus knows the real important need that you have. Not that those things aren't important. He'll get to that. 
He'll sort that stuff out in your life. He'll give you perspective. He'll give you wisdom in terms of how to handle that. But Jesus knows exactly what you need. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. What happens? The Pharisees flip out. The Pharisees flip out and they say, who is this? These are blasphemies. Who is this guy that says he's forgiving sins? No one can forgive sins except for God. And so Jesus asks them, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk? Go ahead. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Right? Which one's easier? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? But look at verse 24. I'm going to show it on the screen. Luke 5, 24. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And the guy got up and was healed. Amen? Immediately, this is what the following verse says, immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and they were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. <laughs> right? Now that's, we need to bring Anybody want to see some strange things? You know, strange things are happening. Toy Story, right? Toy Story, anyone? <laughs> All the moms are like laughing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, strange things. Why? Because Jesus knows he's the answer. And he's he's... He's a healer. He's got healing in his hands, and he can forgive sins. And what that says to me is like, okay, what is the need that someone would have that Jesus can't directly speak to, and we just simply need to bring people to Jesus, amen? So Jesus has this power. He's the answer. Now, the last point tonight, the, the fields are white. Why do we need to bring G people to Jesus? Because the fields are white. Let's pick it back up, verse 35. Now, let's go back to 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, do not say, or do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives his wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. And I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Why should we bring people to Jesus? Because the fields are white. Amen? The fields are white to harvest. Jesus used this concept of the harvest. You know, he's out on the outskirts of town and they're there at the well and he's meeting. He'd met with this woman and she leaves her water pot. The guys come back with the 
drive through or whatever, and you have this whole scene, right? And, and I'm sure you could look down through the fields and you could see like the, you know, the town off in the distance, right? And, and so Jesus uses this analogy. Jesus says to them, do you not say that there are four months and then the harvest? It's like a saying, like, you know, oh, there's four months and then the harvest. We, we, you know, we know how to farm. We know how to farm. And um, so he says, don't you say that there are four months and then the harvest? He says, don't say it. Don't say it. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Look at the fields. They're already white unto harvest. The fields are white. We, we don't need to wait four months. We don't need to wait. We need to go. We need to bring people to Jesus. Amen? The fields are white unto harvest. The men of the city were coming out to meet him. Remember, she had gone in. She had gone into town. She left her water pot. She ran into the town. She says, come and see a man who told me everything about my life. And they, they listened to her. Got to give some props to this woman at the well, right? Because she somehow talked the whole town into coming out to see Jesus. And here they come. Jesus is there with the disciples and said, don't say, don't, do you not say that there's four months and then the harvest? Don't say it because look at the fields. They're already white unto harvest. And here come the men, the Sumerian men, coming out to meet him, right? Some of the scholars believe that it could, they could have actually been, you know, coming out in white robes. So you see this, you know, you had this imagery of these guys coming out in white robes and they're coming out to meet Jesus. The fields are white unto harvest. I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us. A lot of people don't get involved in evangelism or they don't get involved in even attempting to bring people to Jesus because they feel like, you know, they feel like maybe like, you know, they go fishing and they don't catch anything, right? Like I remember like our church in, in Orlando, we came over here with a men's group and we came over here to do like a shark fishing trip, right? So we brought them over here to Port Canaveral and we signed up and we got the whole thing and, and, um, and we get out there, they take us out of the port. We're like all excited. We're gonna go, we're gonna go catch some shark. Like, I don't even go fishing, but like, hey, I'm on the boat and we're going to catch some shark. We go out there in the ocean. We're out there with fishing poles and stuff and doing everything that they're telling us to do. No one caught anything. One guy from another group caught a hammerhead that was about this big. The puniest hammerhead I've ever seen. I didn't even know that they came that small. I said, if this is what's out here off of Cocoa Beach, I don't have anything to fear about getting bitten up. No wonder everybody gets bit up in New Smyrna. No one gets bit out here because they got these little boogers. Man, and it got so bad. The chop was so bad. And I started to get, there was one, I forget if it was a man or a woman. I just saw somebody puking over the side. It was bad. Everybody was puking. I was getting kind of queasy. I was just counting. When are we getting back? I guess we got to get out of here. 
I couldn't wait to get back on dry land, back to the port. And I said that night that I would never do it again. And you know what? Some people have that same feeling with evangelism. You know, they have a bad experience. You know, one guy catches, you know, a puny hammerhead or something. And they say, you know what? No. But I want us to hear the words of the Savior tonight. I want us to hear the words of Jesus tonight that says, don't say there's four months and then the harvest. Don't say it. I know you want to say it, but don't say it. I want you to lift up your heads. I want you to lift up your eyes tonight. I want you to look out there across Melbourne tonight, and I want you to see and know that there are white fields out there ready for harvest, and that we simply need to be involved in bringing people to Jesus. Amen? So folks, we'll close with this. The fields are white. The fields are white. Let's bring people to Jesus. He knows everything about them. He knows everything they need. He's the answer. He's got food that will sustain them. He can forgive, and he's got healing in his hands. Amen? We got enough reasons to bring people to Jesus. And on top of that, knowing that our Savior has told us that the fields are white unto harvest. So let's go. Let's go. Don't worry about the last time, don't worry about the 12-inch hammerhead. Let's go.